in the letter of Second Peter. And I, I don't know about you, I have read through that letter multiple times this last week. It is one of those letters that brings challenge and an encouragement all at the same time. And this morning we're going to look at one of those challenging parts to our lives. Think about it. As we look around in the world today, we see them. Lives that are suffocated with the feeling of uselessness. Do you know them? They bear no fruit. They have no purpose. We see them around us, don't we? We can see from time to time the elderly who once were full of energy. Many in their lives sought after them for advice, counsel. And now in their life they... They feel forgotten. Battling the question day in and day out. Is it worth it? Is there purpose? The once healthy, active, strong individual. Now suffering an illness. Finding it difficult to even maintain the daily needs of life. He or she can only dream of what they once were able to do. What about the person who once was in high demand? Now finding themselves jobless, wondering if there's even really a place in the world for them. The once independent person, finding themselves being more and more reliant on another. When we think of, of useless lives... Those who are struggling with purpose, these are the ones that come to our minds and our thoughts, are they not? And no doubt that as we look at these kind of individuals, these who are struggling with those things, we see that despair, depression, and sadness are often frequent guests. We see them around us. There may even be some here today. And I've discovered that the church is not immune to this. 
I've also found that often we find our usefulness, our worthiness, our, our fruitfulness often on, on the horizontal perspective of life. And each of us have a tendency to look at the horizontal and only the horizontal. I'm not saying ignore it. It's, it's a part of your life. It's a part of my life. But what we fail is to realize that there is the vertical perspective that we have to filter what we see and experience in the horizontal. And where Peter is taking us today in his letter as he challenges the church is to take that horizontal and make it a vertical perspective. God's given a remedy, an antidote, for those of us that struggle with feeling these ways. And truth be told, there's not a person in this room who probably hasn't struggled with these feelings, these struggles of emotions, of perspective, as we go through life. As Peter writes his letter today to us, he gives a surefire way for you and I not to be counted among the useless, the worthless, the fruitless. I'm excited as we look at Peter's practical perspective of of how you and I can avoid this. I want to remind you, first of all, that Peter in his letter is writing to believers. He is writing to those who are already engaged in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that is not you today, that is going to be the foundation of everything that we are talking about. Please come and see myself, someone else that can introduce you to Jesus Christ and have that relationship. But G Peter is talking to believers, those who are engaged in that. His first letter was foundational in explaining that relationship. Very powerful. You remember those opening chapters of First Peter? And the relationship that you and I can have? Peter is going to challenge you and I to live and think differently. And remember Peter is one who has walked with Christ. Peter's one that went fishing with Jesus Christ. Peter is one who's, who wept in the arms of Jesus and laughed around the campfire with him. 
This is a man who has seen God in the flesh lived out for you and me. And as he he portrays these truths today, he's going to challenge us that we are to live a life different. Consider the words of Peter as he begins in chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his gracious and magnificent promises. Some of those promises that we discussed. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust now. For this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and in your knowledge self-control and in your self-control perseverance and in your perseverance godliness and in your godliness brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness love for If these qualities are yours and are increasing, listen to it, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. In the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow! For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted having forgotten his purification from his former sins. I will tell you that these words are not complicated to understand, but they are vital to your walk and mine. These promises, these precious Precious promises. As Mark was was sharing, as it pertains to our salvation, we, we look at these promises and it brings assurance to us, does it not? How encouraging was it to hear others state some of the promises that God has given us? How many of you were assured and encouraged by those things? I was as well. We, we look at these promises that God has given us. And it brings assurance. Peter's beginning his letter here. Right out of the gates as he, he brings the introduction and immediately Peter begins to discuss with you and I our responsibility in our growth and our maturing. Here's the thing, church. What we're looking at here is your responsibility for your own personal walk with Christ. It it is. We're going to look at this Did you notice that phrase, he's granted to us? God has given us what we need. 
Think about that. God supplied and made it available. Every tool that you and I need. But we have to use it accurately. A few weeks ago, I had a chainsaw up here on the stage. I kid you not. I have seen someone pick up a chainsaw before. And they grab it like this, and they started doing this to the log. How sad that he had the accurate tool for the job, but used it very, very inaccurately. See, the problem is, is God has equipped us. He has given us everything that you and I need But we are to use them and use those tools and things He has given us, those promises that He has graciously bestowed upon us, and we are to use them accurately. We shouldn't be taking up the Word of God and using it and handling it in a poor manner. Otherwise, it will be as effective as trying to cut a log with a chainsaw back and forth. Man, was he amazed when he saw what that saw could do. How efficient and effective it could be. It really was fun to see his face. And I hope your faces, as as we look at what God has given us, will light up with how effective and useful we can be to our great God. He calls these promises precious and magnificent. Oh, they sure are. But did you notice verse 8? Verse 8, as we were looking through, and we'll look closer at it in a moment, gives us both a, a powerful promise, but also a very stern warning, church. Scripture is full of God's promises to you and to me. There's hundreds, thousands of them in the pages of Scripture. Oh, to hold on to those promises. And these promises allow us to partake in God's nature. To be a part of what He fully intended you and I to be. Think about that. What is it that God fully intended for your life and my life? It's not health, wealth, and and just wonderful ease. Oh, it's far greater than that. He intends for you and I to be used by Him. And in light of these promises, because... Of these promises, you and I are able to participate in what He has provided. The faith required. Peter doesn't even really go deep into this faith, he's already written a letter on that. Peter, throughout this letter, is, is pleading with them to the things they already know, the knowledge which they have, the teaching which he has already, already delivered to them. 
He is assuming and, and presumptuous here that we understand that faith, that there is a foundation of this faith. The faith is the bedrock of everything in the believer's life. We're going to do a stair-step thing here. And, and faith is at the bottom. It is the foundation. Can we get that slide up? There it is. Faith. This is, this is talking about our justification. In, in light of, of faith and sanctification, justification, faith is justification. You and I stood before God guilty, condemned. That's a bad place to be, by the way. Jesus Christ comes, he dies on the cross for your sin and mine, raises from the dead three days later, conquering death, conquering and a paying for the atonement for sin. And therefore, when one enters into that relationship, he stands justified, made righteous before God. That is the foundation, folks, our faith. Peter touches on that, that you're declared righteous, and that is the foundation. Now there is a responsibility for how you and I live moving forward. See, the Christian life is not one where you come to faith, say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from hell. Now I am going to live my life for me. If that is your concept of a relationship with Jesus, that is a wrong concept. That's not a popular message either, by the way. There are expectations of how you and I should live. Peter says, applying all diligence in your faith, supply. Diligence, there, there is a work. It is bringing effort to the table. It's not easy. What we're going to look at, what we are seeing that we are to apply to our, our faith is not easy, church. This life takes work. It takes every effort possible. So let me ask you today, are you willing to put forth the work? The effort. In your faith, supply. Provide something in addition. Now hear me out. We are not talking about adding to salvation. Salvation is the work of Christ and Christ alone. We place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But on that faith, we are to supply. We are to, to produce out of our life proof. The root of the word supply. I, I, this is where Greek gets fun, okay? The, the root word there is chorus or chor choreography. Okay, I am horrible at choreography. 
Okay, whenever we did the Christmas plays growing up and all of that, they finally decided I should not have dancing parts because I was always two steps behind. I couldn't do it, but my goodness, have you ever seen where, where there is a dance and everyone is in unison and oh my goodness, it is beautiful. The chorus bringing all the voices, all of the parts together to create something beautiful. This is, is what it's talking about. That we supply, we, we begin to create this dance. Yes, I'm talking about dancing in church. Isn't it great? <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to demonstrate because I have two left feet when it comes to that. But Peter here lists seven things that we are to add to our faith. Faith being the foundation. And slowly this dance becomes beautiful. The life of the believer as these things are supplied becomes a beautiful thing to see. Both to God and man. The first thing he says to add is moral excellence. Did you notice as we went through this list, each one is in faith, add moral excellence. In moral excellence, add. You are, you are doing this in this. Not apart from this. It's your faith that is going to bring this about. Moral excellence to do what is right, to stand firm, stand alone if necessary. Moral excellence is hard. It is difficult. Because when we look at everybody else around us, it's very easy to allow that to be our standard. When we look at moral excellence, we come, we see God's word, we see the life of Christ, and we realize, oh my goodness, that's the standard. That is what we live up to. He is the one that we follow, not the culture. Not the times. Not what's popular. It takes courage. It takes bravery, does it not? Because often you find yourself looking odd. You're that odd duck that everybody looks at and goes, Really? That doesn't make sense. But standing alone for the right reasons... For what God's word says is a good place to stand. I'm not talking about being a loner. I know some of you are like, oh, darn, thought I had an excuse now. No. God is calling us to be insulated, not isolated. There is a difference. We are to be insulated from the impacts of, of the sin around us, the world around us, but not isolated. God calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. So we look at moral excellence, and to that we begin to add knowledge. We have to add knowledge if we're going to do that, because you know what? You will not know what moral excellence is without knowledge. 
The knowledge in Peter loves this word. Oh, he loves this word in this letter. But it's a practical common sense of God's word. Do you know how you get practical common sense of God's word? You read it. You listen to it. You know it. You don't get practical wisdom of God's word by taking the Bible, throwing it on your coffee table so you can see it every day. I know exactly where it is. I know exactly how long it's been there because if you pick it up, there's a dust mark around it. That's not knowing. It's allowing those pages to become brittle, brown on the edges with use and time. And for the digital age now, listening to the Bible over and over. I love listening to the Bible. How many of you do that, by the way? I'm just curious. You, it's a great, great thing just to listen through the Bible. It's really helpful when you're driving, too. It's much safer than reading. But, but we, we are called to add knowledge. And not only knowing it, but applying that knowledge to our life. Applying what we know to our day-in, day-out life. Next, he adds self-control. You know what I love about self-control? Remember when... Peter just said, hey, he's supplied all of this for you, okay? That whole grabbing the chainsaw and doing this thing. I love it when people go, well, that's one I just don't have. I don't have self-control. I mean, that's scary. Do you realize that the fruit of the Spirit is, oh, wait, it's in there, isn't it? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Oh, self-control is in there. So if you don't have self-control, then you better question whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it says when you enter into that relationship, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell the believer, giving you self-control. Basically, it's taking what God is giving you and going, not working. The idea of self-control. Being mastered by nothing but God. Think about that. You allow God to control you in such a way that you are not mastered by anything or anyone but Him. Imagine how the Spirit could work through you in that. So much in our lives master us, don't they? So many, many things. Even good things. That's one of the enemy's greatest ploys, is it not? To have a good thing mastering our life so that we step away from allowing God to master our life. That is part of the work of giving yourself over to Him, allowing the Spirit 
to have control. To add in that, perseverance. You're like, oh, yeah, it's going to take perseverance, all right. I mean, you think about perseverance and you almost get tired thinking of it, don't you? You think about perseverance and you don't think about the 50-yard dash. You think about the marathon. And the preparation that goes into perseverance. Do you realize that almost anyone in here could probably run a 50-yard dash without preparation? Especially if, like, a cougar jumped out at you. I'm not even sure you'd make it 50 yards. But you could make that. I mean, you wouldn't even need to prepare. But a marathon, on the other hand, requires preparation, does it not? That kind of perseverance is is built up over time. This idea of persevering is bearing up, standing under a load. There is a burden that you carry, and you stand up under it persevering continuing on moving forward even when it feels difficult maybe even impossible that's perseverance you know it's amazing with that load One of those promises, Christ says, I'll bear that load with you. In fact, he says, I'll take that yoke. You bear my yoke. It's easy. It's light. We add to that godliness. Godliness. How do you define godliness? It's appropriate beliefs. It's also right thinking. Godliness. What lens do you look at life through? Do you look at the scriptures through the lens of the world? And go, yeah, that doesn't pertain anymore. No. Or do you look at the world through the lens of Scripture and going, whoa, wow, oh God, it's really gotten messed up, hasn't it? So often we look at Scripture through the lens of the world rather than looking at what is around us through the lens of Scripture, that right view, Godliness, there is a reverence in which we look at those things. There is an understanding that God is the dictator of how things should be. Of how you and I live. For some that might be uncomfortable. It's a right perspective. And think about this, it's not an appearance. I understand that on a Sunday morning, many come through those front doors 
striving hard to appear godly. And then the church gets the reputation for being hypocrites. Well, this is on YouTube. It's, it's being posted to MP3s and all of that. So I'm going to go on record of saying this. The church is full of hypocrites. <gasps> oh, great. Now nobody's going to come, right? Well, you know what? God doesn't call perfect people to himself. But he calls people who should be striving to be godly. Striving to apply godliness to their life. And you know what? It is who you become. It is not the appearance that you give. You know, it would be great one day for you know, a family to come in through the door and go, Oh, pastor, you would not believe this morning. Our family is at each other's throats right now. We are so glad to be here because you know what? We, we just need, we need fellowship. Oh, we just need to be around some other godly parents that can cry with us right now because we feel like losers. Nobody's walked into church feeling that way, have you? Actually, we do. We just don't express it. We don't say it. We make sure that the kids are all smiling by the time they walk through that door. We maybe take another loop around, you know, the, the parkway before pulling into church. I don't know. Here's the thing. God is so much more concerned with internal than external. Bring the kids and let them know, you know what? We're not there to pretend. We're there to fellowship and come before a God because we need him. We want him. And yeah, you know what? We're not perfect. Guess what? Neither is the person we'll sit next to today perfect. <gasps> I know, shocking. Believe it or not, you know what? Your pastor's family has rough mornings on Sundays too. And Mondays. And Tuesdays. Sometimes Wednesdays. Thursdays for sure. Fridays every now and then. Saturday, absolutely. But we strive for that internal godliness. I love the next one, brotherly kindness. You know, it'd be a lot easier to come through those doors without putting on the facade if we could actually exhibit brotherly kindness. How many of you want to come to church and feel brotherly kindness from someone else? Half of you. See, the other half's not going to give it. That's the problem. Okay, half of you want it. Half of you are like, I'm not going to give it. And that's where we struggle with this, is we all want that, that brotherly kindness, a genuine affection towards one another. This is talking, once again, church, to believers when we come together and fellowship together, there should be brotherly kindness. We should see that poor family coming in with kids that are just struggling and say, oh, come here, you need a hug, don't you? Oh, we've all been there. That marriage that, that is, is struggling through a, a bump in, in their marriage and bring them alongside and say, it's okay, you can get through this. We're going to pray with you. 
that brother or sister who found out bad news. And life is not cheery, even though the sun is out and the sky is blue. And embrace them. Be willing to cry with them. Or maybe we're going through that really difficult time, but somebody doesn't know that yet, and they share something wonderful that God did for them, and being willing in that brotherly kindness to rejoice with that brother or sister. That's brotherly kindness. It's, it's, it's the phileo. Okay, you know, Philadelphia and all that. Philadelphia is not really a... Anyway, we won't go there. But... That brotherly kindness means that as we grow and walk and exhibit these things in our life, we begin to set aside ourselves and look to others. And you exhibit this to others, not based on who you are, not based on your day, your week, but based on Christ. What Christ has done, not what they've done for you. Truth be told, guess what? That person may not have done anything for you, but you do it based on what Christ has done for you. I love this next one, love. In all of this, you add love. And I'll go Greek on you again. This is agape. This is not phileo. This is not the, the feel good, the, the romantic, the passionate. This is agape. This is pure love. And it tops off this beautiful dance with, with, with God that we do in this life as we seek to, to, to have the fullest life that God could possibly give us here and now. I love what the writer of Hebrews said about this. Hebrews 6.10 says this, For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name, in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. God won't forget this. And it is hard, it is something difficult from time to time to do, but God will not forget. Do you realize what all of these things culminate to? We see each of the things that Peter has, has been laying out, starting with our faith. That church is the foundation, and as we add to that, that is our sanctification justification is with faith but these things as we do it is the sanctification the process in which we could become more and more like Christ himself what a beautiful thing what a beautiful outcome of your faith and mine that these would be supplied, added to our faith. See, church, that is God's expectation.
Peter moves on and gives two promised outcomes. Two promised outcomes. God gave those things to us to live out. I'm reading a really good book. I mean, the title alone is, is convicting. The book is, What If Jesus Actually Meant What He Said? Well, there's a thought for you. What? What if Jesus actually meant what he said? We look at these things, we read these things and go, oh, it would be so nice if so-and-so would be that person. Oh, if only our pastor would do more of that. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? And I agree, I need to exhibit more and more of those attributes, those, those things in my life. But Peter's writing to you. He's writing to me. Verse 8. Look at what verse 8. For these qualities are, for if, not for these qualities are. No, they may, they should, they could. But if. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pause right there for a moment. Focus on that. Do you see what Peter's saying? Do you see what God is, has told Peter to write to you and I? If. If these are yours. When God looks at you, He will go, Wow! Oh, Jed is finally useful to me. Oh, the fruit that he can bear for me, finally. Yes. I love that it says, and, and they're increasing. This is not a stagnant faith. We are to be growing and maturing in these things. As soon as you think you got it down, think again, there's more. Verse 9, though, a stern warning. For he who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. You haven't lost your salvation, but you are blind. You're short-sighted. You have forgot what Jesus Christ did, the justification, your faith. There's, there's two options here. One, you can be the, the believer that is growing in these and increasing, and these qualities are exhibited in your life, and you're useful and fruitful to God. Or you can be blind, short-sighted. You know what that short-sighted is? It's looking at the here and now. This is all that matters. And to do those things detracts from what I want. It is a willful blindness. You come, you listen, you hear the word of God preached, and you're like, no, that's not me. No, that's not the life I'm going to live. No, I can't do that. 
That whole self-control thing, mm, nah. And we keep that horizontal perspective. We look at life's circumstances around us and we wonder why we feel useless. We wonder why we feel unfruitful. And it's not because of your circumstances. I will tell you that right now. None of those things that Peter listed there are dependent on your circumstances. It is whether or not those are exhibited in your life. And so we grow spiritually. I, I really appreciate verses 10 and 11. And, and as I was studying and looking through it, I love how the New Living Translation just stated these two verses. Let, let me read, read them for you. They'll be up on the screen. Verse 10 and 11, listen to what it says. So dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to you, by the way. Okay. Dear brothers and sisters, work hard. Remember, he already said we're going to have to strive for this work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. That is quite a promise, by the way. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow! What a perspective! What a thing to look forward to! What a thing to recognize that you and I have been chosen by God Himself to enter into His family. We have been adopted, as Ephesians talks about. We have become a part of His family. Chosen on purpose for a purpose. Why? To prove to a watching God, or a watching God and a watching world. God already knows. Remember, He's the one that can see in here anyway. Regardless of how you come today, tomorrow, Monday, Wednesday, what doesn't matter. He knows here. But to prove to a watching world. What an amazing goal. To live this life and never fall away. Did you see that? Do these things and you will never fall away. Have that eternal perspective. Let me remind you of verse 3, that God has given us everything pertaining to life. What a promise. One day you and I will walk through the gates of heaven. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I want to go through this life and I don't want to find myself in the camp of the useless, the worthless, the fruitless. 
But when I get to heaven, I want to understand that I have been fully used to the fullest extent that God could use me. As hard and difficult and uncomfortable as that may be, I want to understand that I was able to bear more fruit for Him for eternity purposes than I ever could. I want it for His glory. Church, shouldn't that be our heartbeat? Remember Peter, as he writes these words, understands that his death is imminent. It's looming over him. There's an urgency in which he writes to the church. Because he sees what's coming, he understands the traps and the dangers that are ahead. And he says to them, you. This is the way you need to live. Let's pray. God, this morning, there may have been those who who walked through the doors, possibly feeling useless, worthless, unfruitful. God, what a blessing as we've come to your word that we understand that we don't have to be that way. We don't have to feel that way because of the truth that you've conveyed to us. Lord, my prayer is that we, as your people, as your church, would strive to live To live, God, as you demonstrated to us. And may this church be one that you are able to use for your glory and your honor in some amazing ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hymn number 655. Simple prayer course that's very familiar to us. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true.